1: This morning, our Scripture comes to us from Psalm 150. We're going to read it responsively, and it can be found in your hymnal on page 506. Well, I will read uh, the black part, and the congregation can read the red part. Let us attend to the wisdom of the Word of God. Praise the Lord! Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty glory. Praise Him for His mighty deeds.
0: Praise Him according to His exceeding
1: greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him. with lute and Praise Him with timbrel and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipes. Praise Him with sounding cymbals.
0: Praise Him with loud.
1: Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God.
0: Those who are able or invited to stand out of honor and respect to God's Word, we turn to two places in the New Testament. First, uh, Corinthians in chapter 10, and then back to the letter to the Romans. Listen. Listen to God's Word. Paul writes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The Word of the Lord. To Romans in the 11th chapter, the 33rd through the 36th verse. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, And pray with me, please. O Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations, the thoughts of all of our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in Your sight and life-giving to us and to those whom You have called us to serve. Lord, You are our rock. You are our Redeemer. We pray in Your name and for Your sake. Amen. Some years ago, I attended a preaching seminar. It was two or three days in length. And it was led by one of my favorite preachers. It was helpful, inspiring, stimulating. But standing here before you today, I couldn't tell you exactly what all we covered. It was so many years ago. But what I do remember, however was one illustration that the instructor used, one anecdote that she shared. And what she said was this, I believe that when we get to heaven and stand before God who sits on the judgment seat, that God will ask of us but one question. And then she paused. And questions started racing through my mind. What will God ask? What's the one question? Why should I allow you into my heaven? Why didn't you serve me better? What more could you have done to be a follower? And then she continued. The one question that I believe will ask us on that day will be, did you have a good time? I really wanted you to have a good time. There's another seminal moment in my ministry that I'm remembering. It was when I was chaplain at Davidson College. I was in charge of the weekly chapel services, and on this particular Thursday, I invited the then dean of students, to preach in the chapel, which was nothing out of the ordinary. He was an ordained Presbyterian pastor. He had been chaplain of the college at an earlier point in his career. And to this day, I have not forgotten the title of his sermon, which was, Christians Ought to Act More Redeemed. And what he went on to say was this, if we really understand who God is and revealed God's self to be in Jesus Christ His Son and the power of the Holy Spirit alive and at work in our lives in the world, then we ought to reflect that in the manner in which we live our lives punctuated by joy, not being fearful, guarded, dour, even mean, as some Christians are so often stereotyped to be. Show the joy of the Lord was His basic message. In the way that you live, you are redeemed. In Madison, Georgia, where I was serving for ten years before being called to serve as senior pastor here at First Church Columbus, I remember the story that a father told me one Sunday morning when they arrived for worship. He said, Chuck, I need to tell you what happened with Grant this morning. Grant, his son, was probably about six at the time. A rather exceptional young boy, even then we knew. He loved the church. He was always around it. He went on to go to Harvard, and now he's doing something grand and glorious in his life. But his father told me that Sunday, Chuck, when I woke up Grant this morning and told him it was time to get ready to go to church, he said he didn't want to go to church. And you know how unusual that is because Grant was usually the first one up and ready to go. And so I said, Grant, why don't you want to go to church? You love church. You love going to Sunday school. You love the people there. You always want to go to church. Why don't you want to go to church? He said, well, Dad, yeah, I do like those parts of church, but the part that I really don't like is the funeral part. The worship. That was a dagger in my heart. How is it for you? How is is it in your life of faith? How is it in your life of worship and praise and glory to God? Is is church, is the Christian life, is is it like a funeral? Or is it a celebration? How well does your life reflect the joy of your salvation? That you know, that you know, that you know that you are redeemed by Jesus Christ. I guess maybe the bottom line question to you this morning is this. Are you having a good time? All of these are important questions for us to ponder, especially in light of this fifth sola that we consider today, the last of our series of five sermons looking at these pillars of our faith, pillars built on the fact that we are saved by the grace of God. Through faith in God. Both of these gifts because of what the Holy Spirit teaches us through the Scriptures of God because of Jesus Christ. All of these four pillars. And now the fifth comes into place. What does it mean for us to live to the glory of God alone? The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism which is on the front of your bulletin helps capture the meaning of this last sola, this last core doctrine of our Reformed faith. It's on the front of your bulletin there. The question is, what is the chief end of man? And any of you who were raised in the Presbyterian church some years ago, you probably know the answer to this question because you were asked to study the shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, that's right. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean to enjoy God forever? Well, the next two questions that follow in the Shorter Catechism help clarify and frame our answer and understanding of what it means to glorify and enjoy God. The second question of the Shorter Catechism is this. What rule hath God given to direct how we may glorify and enjoy Him? And the answer is this. The Word of God which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. The Scriptures direct us and teach us and guide us in how we are to glorify God and enjoy God. It's not a a whatever feels good, do it, or anything goes kind of enjoyment and glorification. Our lives are ruled and measured and directed by God's Word as revealed in both the Old and the New Testament. And then the third question of the Shorter Catechism helps us further. For the question reads, what do the Scriptures principally teach? What do these Old and New Testaments reveal to us? What do they teach us? And the answer is this. The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God, and what duty God requires of men and women. These Scriptures reveal to us what we are to believe and what it is our duty to be about to do. And what we believe about God and know about God is that God is love. God is grace. God is compassion. God is full of mercy. In God, we see holiness. In God, we know righteousness. We even see a jealous God revealed to us in Scripture. Jealous for His children. We see a sovereign God. In Scripture, we see God to be one revealed in scandalous particularity. In Jesus Christ as Son and Savior of the world. Therefore, we are called by who we know God to be, to live in a certain way. That certain way means that we shall have no other gods before this living God, this sovereign God. We make no idols or graven images. We do not take God's name in vain. We worship God alone. That we honor the Sabbath that God has given to us. We honor our father and our mother. We do not kill. We do not commit adultery. We do not steal. We do not bear false witness. We do not covet what is not our own, the Ten Commandments. And Jesus boiled all of that doing and living down into the two simple commandments that we all know What is required of us but to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. And then the second commandment is like unto it and just as important that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The Christian faith, then, places upon us an all-or-nothing proposition. The Christian faith is not what we do when we feel like it, but rather whatever we do, whenever we do it, it is all directed to the glory of God. It is about living and worshiping with God at the center, that our lives turn to the center where God resides on the throne. Some of you may remember the little uh, spiritual aerobics that we've done in previous worship services when we were talking about putting God at the center and and we have a little gesture and something that we say while we do it. You may remember God, not God. God, not God. God, not God. How many of you exercise in the morning? You might want to offer that little routine as part of your regimen but make sure that you change hands. God, not God. God, not God. So let me ask you this question this morning. How is it with you? In a life with God at the center? A life that is lived to the glory of God and enjoying God now and forever? If that glory and that joy is not being manifest in our lives, if we we are not experiencing the fruits of God's Spirit, then maybe there is some examination that we need to do in our lives. For if we are about worshiping and glorifying the triune God, there are those spirits that would be manifest in our lives and seen by others and experienced by us. What are the fruits of living in that Spirit? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How is it with you in experiencing and enjoying those fruits in your life? You know, too many of us try to balance life out We try to figure it out and and make it something like life stew. We try to come up with a recipe that will work for us to figure this thing out. And so we'll put a cup of career in our lives, and then we'll add a cup of play over here, a little bit of family, a dash of friends, and a cup of God for good measure, and then we stir it all together and then season it to taste. The fact of the matter is our relationship with God is not one of many. It is not bands of interest that we go through in our lives as we move along the journey. Life is not made up of trying to balance the ingredients. There is one bottom-line truth in Scripture and from the teachings of Jesus Christ himself that we are to follow Him not with part of our lives, but with the whole of our lives. The demand upon us is a radical demand. It is thoroughly unmodern. And how easily we make an idol of some part of our lives or trying to balance our lives with our wants, our desires, our plans, our dreams, and life becomes something more about me, my, Mine, my hurts, my fulfillment, my disappointments, my misplaced allegiances, it's all about I, me, mine. It reminds me of a story of a Presbyterian pastor, and this is true. A true story of a pastor who, who was leading a church in a very ambitious building campaign. And the day came for all of the pledges to this great work of the church to expand its ministry came. And instead of them bringing their offerings and all going home and hearing next week how they did, they decided to stay. And after the worship, they continued to pray and to sing hymns while the elders and the treasurer counted up the pledges that they had received. And finally the time came when the treasurer walked back in and handed the report to the pastor. And not only had they met their goal. They had exceeded their goal. And the pastor stood up and said, in light of this good news, it is only right that we should stand and sing another verse of how great I am. How easy it is for us to forget that we live to the glory of God alone and to turn everything in our lives toward the center where God sits on the throne. If our faith, if our life of faith means anything, it means glorifying God, and it means nothing less than turning so many times 180 degrees in the way that we are going to the way that God calls us to go, to reorient our lives that our whole self be directed to the glory of God and the enjoyment of our loving God. The Psalms, which are our prayer book, they teach us how to pray. One hundred and fifty prayers. And they all build and go through the, the, the courses of life, the ups and downs, and in-betweens. And all of those prayers lead us and teach us to reach that great crescendo of the prayer of the psalm that we read this morning. And it leads us to praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise God in His firmament. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And this morning we read as Paul writes to the Corinthians, in his first letter, the 10th chapter, the 31st verse, Paul writes, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In another place in Paul's letter in, Col- in Colossians verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes this, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And that means everything. Everything in the name of Jesus. Everything for God's glory. That means everything. Brushing your teeth in the name of Jesus. Driving your car to the glory of God. Doing your work, whatever it may be, to God's glory. Raising your kids. Playing tennis. Eating your food taking care of your body, your worship of God, serving your neighbor, making that commitment, watching TV to the glory of God, going on the internet to the glory of God, sending that email to the glory of God. And too many times we try to retain a piece of control in our lives, at least a portion of our lives that we want to hold back instead of giving everything to God. There's a story of the ancient pagan tribe of the lusty warriors named the Franks. They were among the first Germans to be converted to Christianity, and like many tribes during this era, they were converted en masse. And that meant that groups underwent baptism by wading into the river by the thousands. And these warriors, these Franks, knew that they would be following then a new king known as the Prince of Peace, which hit their ears in a rather odd fashion. And the story is told that when the Frankish warriors came to the Rhine or to the Rhone River, they were always careful when they were baptized to hold their swords out of the water above their heads, not to keep them from rusting, but to keep their swords from Jesus. It wouldn't do then. It will not do now. Jesus asks for everything. And to glorify God means to give God everything. We cannot hold our swords out of the water. We cannot hold our careers out of the water, our idle pastimes. We cannot hold our checkbooks out of the water. We cannot hold our married lives out of the water or any part of our lives out of the water. Everything has to go under so that it too might be raised up. Nothing can be held back. It is all for God's glory. What is it that you may be holding on to tightly, holding up out of the water rather than surrendering it to God? Is it your pain that you're holding on to? A disappointment? A fear? Is it that desire to control because you think you know better? Is it a hope? Is it a dream? It all must go under. It all must be surrendered. For whenever we surrender all to God and put our trust in God, we honor and glorify God and find enjoyment in our relationship with God. And we know peace. Jesus said, it is a peace that passes all understanding, not as the world gives. And I believe that unless we know that peace that Jesus gives to us, we will not know the joy that comes in knowing Him. Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, He was in the upper room with His disciples, and John records a great prayer that Jesus prayed. And Jesus prayed for the protection of His his disciples, those who would follow, that they might be one. And then Jesus prays that He might be glorified by the Father, as Jesus has sought to glorify. And what we find is that Jesus' greatest glorification of His Father is when He is on the cross, willing to surrender all to the glory of God, His greatest glory on the cross where He said, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. Not my will, but Thy will be done. And we glorify God when we die to ourselves, that we might know that life that is truly life in Him. So let us go out of this place today, saying, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. And we live for the glory of Him, through Him, unto Him, in all things, that all things may be to His glory, both now and forever. Amen and amen. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus Christ, You have told us that there is a thief. There is a thief that would want to come to steal, kill, and destroy. A thief that would want to steal our hope, kill our joy, destroy our life. Lord Jesus Christ, but you have also said that you have come and that we and all of your children in your coming may have life and you intend for us to have it abundantly both here and now and in the life to come. By your grace, show us that life that we may walk in it. Amen.